Section 16 of The Track of the Typhoon by William Washburn Nutting. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Alan Dove. Section 16. Afterthoughts. I have been asked by many people whether the typhoon proved as successful a boat as we had expected, and whether we would make any changes in her design if we were to build again for a similar cruise. The answers are, she did, and we would. The fact that she made a phenomenal run across the Atlantic, and on her return passage weathered a storm which wrung the SOS from many a big ship, proves, I think, that Typhoon was a successful boat for deep-sea cruising, as successful a one as we could have expected, considering her many rather experimental features. There were, however, a number of things which might be improved. Let's start with the rig. While my experience with the schooner for long passages at sea is meager, I feel that the catch rig for a shorthanded vessel of this size is as good or possibly better than any other. The sloop rig, with its mast well forward, is out of the question, although the cutter with the mast stepped farther aft has the advantage over a two-sticker of a less divided sail plan and consequently might be faster for the same area. With the mast, say, two-fifths the distance from the bow, the cutter-rigged craft will lie too under her forestay sail or under a trysail, but, of course, the combinations of sail are limited compared to a two-sticker, and the labor of handling the larger mainsail is greater. The yawl, with its small mizzen and boomkin extending over the stern, possibly has a slight advantage over the catch in the matter of speed because of its larger mainsail, but the mizzen, while a convenient sail to aid in steering or under which to lie to a sea anchor or at a mooring, is too small to be of any actual good when sailing with the mainsail doused, and the fact that it extends far over the stern is an obvious disadvantage. The schooner is the typical American rig, and needs no other recommendation than its popularity on the Grand Banks to prove its efficiency on seagoing craft, at least of any considerable size. The schooner-rigged vessel lies too nicely under the foresail alone, which on a modern craft is smaller than the mizzen of a catch, and sails well under headsail and mainsail, but the long main boom is likely to be a nuisance when running before the wind, and when it is necessary to reef. In considering the success of the schooners on the banks, it is well to remember that they carry a fishing crew of twenty-odd men. The catch rig, with the mainsail in the middle of the boat, has most of the advantages of a schooner, and I believe some additional ones. The mainsail is smaller in proportion than that of the schooner, with a shorter main boom, which gives less trouble when running before the wind, and makes the job of reefing easier. Two men, or in fact one man kneeling on the cabin roof, can reef the mainsail of a catch without interfering with the man at the wheel, while the boat is kept jogging along under jib and mizzen. Under mainsail alone, a properly designed catch will balance perfectly, and the area of her mizzen, which is greater than that of a yawl, makes possible a decent speed under jib and mizzen with the mainsail doused. One difficulty with the catch rig is that of properly securing the mizzen, it being impossible, except with a jib-headed mainsail, to tie the two sticks together as on a schooner. If we were designing another typhoon, I think we should use a leg of mutton main and mizzen, much like those of the bug-eye. There is no question as to the efficiency of the Legomutton sail, the only difficulty being the additional height of mast that it requires in order to get sufficient sail area, 
and the necessity of using a track instead of hoops for the mainsail if double headsails are used, with a forestay leading from the hounds. The single jib proved perfectly satisfactory. On a few occasions it might have been convenient to be able to douse the jib and use the forestay sail alone, had we had double headsails, but the advantage of the simplified gear and the fact that the sail required no attention when coming about more than made up for this. The full-length boom for the foot of the jib is not a bad feature, although it necessitates casting off the outhaul before the jib can be completely lowered and adjusting the loose lacing frequently to obtain the proper draft. I doubt whether we should use this feature again. I think it would be better to use a loose-footed jib or a shorter club, even at the risk of tearing the jib in bad weather, which was the principal reason for adopting the full-length boom. Our sails were of 10-ounce duck, which is too light for such work. They should have been heavier and should have had the cloths running parallel to the leech instead of crosscut. The crosscut method gives a slightly better setting sail and allows it to be cut with a roach, but it is not nearly so strong, and when it lets go it is likely to tear from leech to luff, as we found off Fire Island. With the cloth running vertically, the reef points can be put at the seams, and there is not nearly the danger of a serious tear that there is in the crosscut sail, even with the reef points reinforced. No matter which type of sail is used, it should have a bolt rope along the leech. We did not use our square sail. Theoretically, this is an excellent sail for running before the wind in heavy weather. The area of the sail is well up, and there is no possibility of tripping its loose foot. However, it requires proper fittings and a jumper stay on which to raise it, and consequently we never bothered with rigging it up. Our storm jib was provided with a wire rope in the luff, so that in heavy weather it could be set flying to the eye in the stem head without the necessity of a forestay, but we didn't use this either. In fact, in weather that would permit us to carry any of our regular sail, we used the full jib. We reefed it only once or twice. There was a great deal of discussion pro and con, mostly con, regarding Typhoon's hollow water lines forward and her broad stern. These features were not nearly so bad as had been predicted and caused us no trouble when running before the wind, which it was claimed would be their worst point of sailing. However, I believe that Typhoon could have been considerably fuller forward without materially cutting down her speed. Such a hull as Typhoon's would be better suited to the schooner rig with the main mast at the point of greater power instead of at the V-shaped section. In a catch where the big stick is forward, there should be plenty of bearing at this point, but the principal reason for filling her out would be to gain room inside. Typhoon was so fine forward that there was but little room in her forecastle. Had her sections been fuller, we could have had as much accommodation on a 40-foot overall length as we had on 45 feet. The stern gave us no trouble whatsoever, but I think it was broader than necessary. To be sure, it gave us long running lines when heeled, but in a boat of this kind with a maximum speed of, say, 9 knots, this feature is not really of such great importance. Many a double-ender of the same length could sail nearly, if not actually, as fast, and, while I have never been an advocate of the double-ended model, it has many advantages. The deck space, of course, with the pointed stern, is cut down somewhat, but there is a great gain in depth at the stern, which is an advantage where an auxiliary motor is installed. If we were redesigning Typhoon, I think we should give her more dead-rise aft, 
and either a square stern with the rudder hung outboard, or else a counter with a short overhang, just enough to permit the use of a screw steering gear, which is a great advantage in a cruising boat. The Englishmen are strong for the tiller, and there is no question of its advantage on a racing boat, but for long passages the screw-type steering gear is not only easier on the helmsman, but permits him to leave the wheel when the boat is balanced on her course without securing it, which is necessary with a quadrant-type steering wheel or with a tiller unless a comb is fitted. Typhoon should have had more than 3,000 pounds of lead on her keel. She was so heavily constructed that she could have stood all of her ballast outside without making her too quick a rollover. The lead was sufficient to bring her up after a knockdown, but the great amount of inside ballast required to give her proper stiffness caused a dirty bilge without giving her quite as much stability as she should have had. Her midship section, I think, is about right. It shows plenty of dead rise and a pronounced, though not a hard, turn at the bilge. The additional stiffness could be obtained by putting a greater percentage of the ballast outside rather than by hardening the bilge and giving her more stability of form. The cockpit was larger than necessary. In leaving it open for the full width between the combings, we felt that it would be possible to gain protection from the wind and sea by crouching in the lee of the combing, and we had in mind also storage space for the water breakers. But the cockpit would have been more comfortable had we extended the deck inside the combings as a seat, with merely a footwell. This would have given us a more comfortable place to lounge and additional storage space inside, and still would have allowed room for a couple of water breakers. Furthermore, the cockpit was too deep, and this feature, together with its breadth, made it necessary to keep the lee scupper plugged when heeled down to prevent the water coming in. Time and again we had the cockpit flooded to the tops of the gunnels, but there was never any danger from such a visitation, the large scuppers carrying the water off quickly and the bridge deck preventing it getting into the cabin to any extent. When we laid out Typhoon's interior, I was strong for keeping it open and undivided, but I think it would have been better to have had one separate sleeping compartment or main cabin forward, and to have enclosed the engine and possibly the galley. There is no other way to keep the sleeping quarters clean and pleasant. Furthermore, in rough weather, an occasional bulkhead is desirable. When you are skidding about on a slippery rolling floor in sea boots, it is nice to be able to come up short against something before gaining inertia enough to break an arm. In the matter of motors in general, and fuel oil motors in particular, we might say a great deal. The early prejudice that existed among sailormen against any kind of a motor has largely given place to a more tolerant attitude and a realization that power is a mighty valuable thing to have aboard a cruising boat. Whether the boat should be, first of all, a sailboat with merely auxiliary power, a 50-50 outfit divided equally between sail and power, or a motorboat with auxiliary sails is a question that can be decided only after thorough consideration of the sort of cruising for which the boat is intended. In designing the Typhoon, we leaned to the first idea, and I believe that for long passages at sea we were right. She could have had a larger motor, and in fact we had planned to use a two-cylinder model of the same type, which would have given us 15 instead of 7.5 horsepower. The greater cruising radius possible with the smaller power was one argument in favor of it. But we have found, and I think Jack Kelly and others who have made long passages of the kind have found, that it is seldom that you want the motor for more than a few hours at a time, and that when you do want it, you are likely to want it badly. 
Sufficient power to handle the boat in any condition of wind or tide is essential, but there is little need of going beyond that point. Our experience with fuel oil was not by any means a pleasant one, but with proper isolation of the engine compartment, this disadvantage might be overcome. And there was the argument of absolute safety. We could have used kerosene, as safe a fuel as fuel oil, and possibly we could have avoided much of our trouble had we used this fuel. Our oil cost 21 cents a gallon imperial, and there was little advantage in the matter of cost over kerosene. Recently, we installed a Buffalo two-cylinder 10 to 12 horsepower heavy-duty gasoline motor in Typhoon, and the results obtained from it were most satisfactory. It drove the heavy hull nearly seven miles an hour, ran faultlessly all day long when necessary, and consumed astonishingly little fuel. I think this general type and size of motor well-nigh ideal for such a hull. To the landsman, I imagine the matter of navigation must seem as formidable as any problem in connection with a long ocean cruise, but while this should not be considered too lightly, there really is nothing about it beyond the reach of a person of ordinary intelligence. My friend, John Kelly, who sailed the little schooner Diablesse to England this summer, did so without the use of a chronometer. In fact, he took but two noon sights for latitude, and neither of them was accurate. He followed closely the track of the steamships, and on several occasions obtained his position from them, picking up the Silly Isles without difficulty and in good time. I had never worked up a longitude site before leaving Badek, and while Baldwin had a casual knowledge of the subject, I don't think he ever had been called upon actually to find his position at sea. We carried all the profound works on navigation, including Lecky and Nori, but when the weather actually permitted us to take a sight, I found Baldwin in the cabin with Henderson's little handbook in one hand, working out the problem. In the course of 10 or 15 minutes, he said, making a pencil mark on the chart, we're here. I wasn't in any position to question his conclusion and let it go at that. A day or so later, I took a sight and worked it up with the aid of Mr. Henderson, and the position obtained seemed to jibe fairly well with the dead reckoning from the bliss log. And so we went from day to day taking a noon sight for latitude and a morning or afternoon sight for longitude. We made no attempt at fancy navigation, sticking to the old merchant marine method that has taken many a ship around the world. It proved perfectly satisfactory in our case. End of Section 16 End of The Track of the Typhoon by William Washburn Nutting